in previous episode with Alex, we asked him about are games actually useful in education? And he was like, maybe. And then we're like, no, Alex, we know that games are useful in education. And that's why we brought Charlotte today from Code Combat. She is Whoa. the protagonist in games in education space. And she would totally agree that games are useful in education. That's what we're going to talk about today. Before that, who, we who do we have here? Who do we have here? We have Rita from Luden.io. You're a business developer and, uh, and a dancer. dancer. And we learned about her some things that we didn't want to know. And <laughs> Dark secrets. Oh my God. Dark secrets. Lera, who are you and what are you doing here? Uh, please, can you make introduction for me also? <laughs> Uh, proud cat owner, producer, yes. YouTuber, queen. <laughs> yeah. I'm designer. the tech guy. Designer. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about let's me. Let's talk about Charlotte. No, no, no. This podcast is about Charlotte and games and education and teachers, you know, all the good stuff. Okay. Charlotte, they are all wrong. They are all wrong. Alex is wrong. Claire is wrong. Krita is wrong. Like, no, games are cool. You are cool. Let's talk about yourself. So what do you do in life? Oh, I work at Combat. I'm a senior curriculum developer. Uh, and basically, that's a long name. Uh, basically, I help with the learning content in the video games that we make. And we actually make video games that teach kids how to code. And the teachers love it. The kids love it. It's super engaging. We're able to tell a story and the kids actually become a heroes and they save the world using code. So talk about really increasing that motivation and answering the why. Why should I be interested in learning how to code? The game and the story really helps bring that to life. So that's basically what I do. Okay, so how you make kids or like players uh I don't know, motivated and interested enough to like learn and not just to play the game or because I'm not really sure how like it works in general for you, but. Yeah, it's so, um, so I'm also, I love board games. I come, I go to board gaming conventions. And one thing I learned when I went to a convention, his name is James Ernst. He's developed, I don't know, 30 plus board games. And one thing that he said was when you're doing a game, you want to make sure that your story and your game mechanics or the structure of a game, so the rules of the game, make sense, right? So that when someone's playing it, oh, it makes sense that I'm, I have to follow these rules. It makes sense. I have to do these things to get to my goal. So when you're designing a learning game, you really want to practice the same philosophy, right? So we do backwards planning. We look at what we want to teach the kids. And we're saying, okay, these are our objectives. And these are the things that they need to practice. But what is a story that's going to make sense of why they need to practice that skill? And so what we mm -hmm. do is, you know, we, we, when we do coding, we always answer the why. Why am I learning loops? Well, it's going to make you code faster, which means you can save the world faster, right? Why am I learning conditionals? Well, now you can know how to use different spells um, and help you decide which spells to use depending on what enemy is approaching. So again, you're oh, so always answering the why. Yeah. So basically you have some learning thing and then you build the story on top so it will make sense like as a game. Oh, that yeah, makes sense. And that makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, because I would say the game mechanic is usually the hardest piece, really. 
um, when we're trying trying to teach something, right? Because we want to make it fun, A, right? And we still mm. want them to learn the content. So really making that marry well is really tricky. And then from there, we think about what is a story? Like we start with the hero. What's a good part of the storyline um, that could really work well with that game? And sometimes when we identify a storyline, we might go back actually and tweak and change the game mechanic just so they marry well together. Um, and the other key thing is our team comes from so many different backgrounds. So everyone has a different perspective to make this game truly holistic. So we have an artist who's worked on various like cartoons and video games. So she's a very visual person. We have someone who's a writer. So he's written books and novels and he loves sci-fi and fantasy. We have two gamers and so they just play video games all the time. They love video games. And then you're bringing me in who has, I have 15 plus years in the world of education, right? board games. So when we get together, when we were making this game, we met almost every day. And whenever we're making decisions, everybody has a stake in the decision making. So if one of us is like, hey, this doesn't feel balanced, don't, it doesn't hit these objectives for the game, it doesn't hit these obje- objectives for the story, that's telling you need to go back and revise. So really, just revise, 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 to really get everything right. I have also a question. We've been talking with Alex about this, and he told that there is supposed to be very good balance between like uh, everything, so everybody, like teachers, parents, and kids would like, and it's very complicated to achieve because you know all people like all those different groups want different things from from this How and they have bosses this? and bosses yes. also want things and they have now want oh. numbers and the bosses also have their bosses and the government who tell them what to do so yes. how do you the government what to do what? <laughs> it, it's so it's it's yeah let's just say you're never bored when you're designing a game like this never bored I call it, I don't know if you use this metaphor, it's called threading a needle, right? You got to get one string exactly in this tiny hole to fit everybody's needs and, and asks. So it is, it's really tricky. The other thing I've done is, um, we, I've done it in the past in other companies and we also did this. We do a lot of play testing because at the end of the day, it's really, if you, your boss is just like, I don't know, this doesn't look, is this fun? If you have the info to back it up, hey, we did play testing. We tested with 20 kids and they all loved it. It's really hard to argue with that. Or we showed this to this many teachers and they loved it, right? It's really hard to argue with that. So really, um, I, I like we follow the design thinking process. And um, that's something that a lot of teachers also really love um, to now teach to their kids. And really the design thinking process, you always start with the audience. You always go back to the audience audience when you're thinking about revision so you know yes you have a boss who's just like hey you know this is my thinking this is my opinion uh, it needs to make money but if you can always go back to the audience and say hey well if you want to make money you want this audience to buy things we tested with the audience and they like it so therefore like go with our decision so really at the end of the day to thread the needle to really figure it out always when there's a doubt when there's a question you go back to The playtesting sounds like an easy solution to that, but it's not. You need a teacher, you need a bunch of kids, you need to stage it all. And I mean, kids are usually kids underage, right? So you need like parents like agreement to all of that. How do you, how do you 
like how do you make it all happen? This is hard. And perhaps you have advice for other game devs who make educational games of how to stage it all. Yeah, and you know, it comes down to um, I have companies where there isn't someone in charge of playtesting. So it's always just like, oh, you know, like this engineer, can you go arrange everything? It's It can't be done like that. You know, you really should invest at least someone who's doing part-time, um, like managing the playtesting, um, because it takes, I agree, like it, it takes a lot of juggling to get teachers and up to get people to, you know, uh, be there to, to ask the questions, to take the notes. Um, so I, I, it's a lot of planning. So I basically really plan it out months in advance of when we want to do play testing rounds. Like we're going to finish this piece. We're going to do play testing rounds. We're going to test this many people. I have to say with COVID, it's actually because everyone was at home. We ended up doing play testing uh, online. So the kids would share their screen while they were playing the game. And we were able to watch and have a conversation. And actually, that sort of made it a lot easier to work with kids because they didn't have to drive all the way to our office to play in front of us, right? And so we were able to get kids from all across the U.S. We were able to get teachers that way, too. Um, so I sometimes you can embrace this technology, embrace that way to make it easier to arrange those playtesting sessions. That sounds cool. And I mean, it fascinates me that you have three different messages to do, like one message for educators, one message for parents, another message for students, and like you package it all as sort of one product. And it's just magnificent. That sounds like making oh, education games. It makes games. sense. It, makes yeah. sense. it yeah. sounds very complicated. It sounds so complicated that you need to think of three different groups. Like, oh my God, I don't I don't know. It, it feels so it, time-consuming yeah. and... And it takes this um, practice. So I call it wearing hats, really. And it comes down to everyone needs to practice this. Just I don't care what industry you're in, but empathy. Trying to see something through someone else's eyes. So that's sort of, I like to say that's sort of my superpower because I put on the hats, right? I've been in the classroom so long that I can put on the, t the kid hat. And I can even say, oh, this is a middle school kid. Okay, I'm going to put on the middle school kid hat. And remember way back when, when I was a middle school kid, what did I feel? Like, what brought my attention? And yeah, it, it, things have changed. So I talk to middle school kids just so I understand where are they at? What are they interested in? You know, what excites them? What bores them? And then you also need to put on the teacher hat and the parent hat, right? And, the only, and if, you, if you're not a parent, again, go back to the audience. Talk to some parents. Get back, get down to the why, you know, why do they care? Like, why, why should they care about this product? And if you can get to that, then you're able to practice that empathy muscle and you can get better and better at it. So now at this point, when they're asking my opinion, I don't necessarily have to talk to 20 middle school kids or 20 mm -hmm. teachers because I've done that legwork in the past. So I can say, based on the last conversations I've had, I think my gut check is to go this direction. And later down, we can confirm. That means you don't have to do as many playtesting sessions, right? Because, again, it's very time consuming. And oh, who are the hardest? Who are the hardest to convince? Uh, well, oh, obviously yeah, not kids, way. right? Because like the yay game, whatever <laughs> game I'm in. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> the teachers, the bosses of the teachers, I know whatever it's, the school executive, the like who is the it's yeah just, the government? Yeah, I know. It really comes down to it. Really depends. I I know that answer is really generic. 
But it really depends. It really depends on who you're selling to and which school you're talking to, what school district you're talking to. Because some schools, they really do listen to the students. So they really care and say, okay, are the students really into it? So then you really need to care. Do the students, like, are they really into it? The teachers, though, that's where you really need to be vigorous to prove that you're teaching these specific standards. So we go by um, national standards. We have CSTA, which is Computer Science Teacher Associations, and they set up basically standards from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade of what objectives we should cover when it comes to coding concepts. And that's basically used basically across the U.S. when people are CS curriculum in schools. So when we build our curriculum towards those standards, we know we're pretty much going to satisfy most computer science teachers, right? But not, we can't just say, oh, we cover these standards. We need to show it. So we've created like lesson slides that are very visual and appealing. So when a teacher is looking at the lesson slides, like, oh, I can do this, right? Because for the teacher, there's like, how much work is this going to take? They have only mm-hmm. so much time in a day. You gotta make it super easy. So I used to write out lesson plans like in a Word document and like have all these steps. And, da, 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 da. and I interview teachers. They're like, I don't have time to read. So I was just like, wait, but you need lessons. So I turned them into lesson slides that they can literally project and show to their students. So they don't even have to think about what to show the students. We've made that for you. And then in the notes of the lesson slide, we tell them what to say on each slide. So basically we're doing the work for them. So it's like, so they can say, oh, wow, this is an easy setup. It's easy for my kids to get started. And then when I do that, I can see my kids love it. That's great. And when you have teachers who are really passionate about your product, they're once you're going to bring it to the district level and say, I love this product. I want to use it in my classroom and other teachers in our district use it too. So really at the heart of it, it's the teacher, right? And it's the student. You need to make sure they're both happy before they're going to they're gonna be willing to campaign for you at the district level. District level, you also need to fulfill a couple check boxes. To be honest, our company, we're still working on it because they're really picky about like, we need to be able to track everything. They're really careful. They want to be able to track everything. What is every teacher doing? What is every student doing? Um, so that was a very long answer. But again, it just depends. <laughs> it's super fun, actually. I mean, like, I'm trying to digest it all. And, like, I mean, what I hear from you that, I mean, obviously it's all about the students and students need to be happy and that's what matters most. But how to make teachers happy? Is it, like, the the slides that you're talking about? Or is it something else? Like, I don't know, they all probably they need to do some reporting. They need to assess the knowledge. Do provide this all to them, like how to make teachers happy about educational game, which and, probably hard. Yeah, for them. And totally. do they feel so, happier like when they're giving not just simple class, but like class with the game and more entertainment? Do they yeah, feel happy? That makes sense to that? give them the game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no. So the teachers who have come back and you know, have, like basically campaign for us in, in districts, uh, they love the fact that there's a game because they don't feel like. They have to like force the kids to do an activity in class in the classroom. The kids want to do it. They ask to do that. They want like more time to do it because we've spent time making sure the game is super engaging for kids, which you guys have done with your, your games too, you know, and then the reporting piece. Yes, that is very important too. So I was just using the le- lesson slides are very important. 
curriculum needs to be easy to set up, easy to use. And then on the other hand, we've built a teacher dashboard. And the dashboard will literally show how each student is doing in the game. It'll show where they are in the game. They can click on a specific level um, where they're coding and they can see what the kid coded. Um, and then at the end of every chapter, the kids create their own game. They actually use the principles of game design to create their own game. And they get a link that the teacher that they can share with students. And the teacher on the teacher dashboard can see every single game that the kids make and see what the code is there. So really, you just need to make it easy for them because you can't you also some things people really forget, especially when you're designing for coding, is not every teacher yet uh, is an expert at computer science, right? They might know just a little bit. So they're going to be sort of afraid to try if you don't make the content really easy for them to digest and then to also teach their kids. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you, Charlotte, and I'm watching Rita, like, what is going on in her head? So Rita, like... Can you reflect on what Charlotte has said? Like, does it, how does it project on your work on Learning Factory EDU? Like, are you going through the same problems, through similar problems? Does it make any Did sense? Did you get like, some ideas from, from it? Yeah, actually, I'm, uh, I'm writing down, like, you know, some useful information from Charlotte. She gave me some hints how to approach the market. Uh, I really appreciate that. And thank you for inviting me to the podcast. I think uh, we... <laughs> I think we're just, you know, on um, a very early stage of this venture. So what Code Combat already have, you know, achieved, has achieved, uh, we are just, you know, starting. And uh, that's a lot. To, I have a lot to learn from Charlotte and from other oh, folks. Oh, by the way, Charlotte, can, can you give an advice for them then? Like something that they should think about, oh. something that was not obvious yeah. for you, but like... Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, 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 I've been in your shoes, Rita. Okay. It can be overwhelming. So really just take it a step at a time, right? You can't get all of these features at once. So again, it's going back to your audience. So who has been playing the games, right? What are the features that they're like, especially with the teachers, what are the features do they need like now versus, oh, it's a nice to have. Right. So if it's really like, hey, you know, I really need some curriculum, then really delve into the curriculum and get them something, get something out there. And the other piece of advice I actually learned from a team that I interviewed for playtesting. And he said, don't let perfect get in the way of progress. Right. So. Again, design thinking, iterate quickly and get that content out there. Um, and you don't have to say, oh, it's public, but you can get at least some semblance of content out there to get feedback from your audience again, um, because that's going to really help you answer questions and you, you don't waste time just seeing, I don't know which direction to go or, you know, how to deliver this content. Just like do it first prototype, share it with some teachers, get some feedback, and that's going to quickly let you like decide which direction to go before you spend a lot of resources making it. Sounds like valuable advices. Thank you very much. And actually, <laughs> regarding uh, regarding the content, we already have five lessons available on the website of Learning Factory EDU. So teachers, please come and touch <laughs> our game. <laughs> I will ask random question. I'm sorry. How do you think? Are the all games are educational at some way or, or no? Not at all. 
she, she just wants to play games all like day and night, you know, like actually, kill monsters and, and tell like, look, I've learned a lot today. I can learn from that. Don't say that. I'm sorry, but okay. I know my reaction was so fast. It's only because, I mean, I play a lot of board games. I played video games. I have a two-year-old and we're trying to find games that are great for once in a while. And oh my gosh, there's games out there who say that say they're educational, and I play it. And I'm like, they, I don't, I don't see it. Like you know, there's you really it needs to be thoughtful, right? It needs to be thoughtful because I've seen ones where they literally do two things, and then they get to see a long video. And I, what I like to say is, make your games make if you want to make your games educational or really anything technical, like like if you want to an ed tech. Try and make sure that the kids are learning how to be creators and not consumers with your mm-hmm. with your game, right? So I like mm-hmm. Learning Factory because they are creating, right? They're creating their own factory process. I, I man, uh, my husband and I stayed up really last night trying to make the perfect lineup of all the factories to like min max output, and we were like, ah, oh, it's just too much cotton. It's building. We gotta build uh, the cotton with, right? So that's the creation versus. You know, being a consumer is if you have a game where like a lot of it is you're just watching videos. I've literally seen games like that. And that is, to me, that's not, I mean, you could say it's sort of educational, but I just don't think it's really like fully educational. Does that, does that make sense? We often say um, terminology, there is game-based learning and gamification. So those are two mm. types of games that often are used in the classroom. Now, gamification is often used for motivation. I don't know if you've heard of something called Kahoot, but it allows teachers to create yeah. like really fun quizzes and it's competitive. So that's gamification. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's gamification, right? It's not going to be the entire lesson, right? It's not going to teach you all the concepts. It's just, a, but it's really useful for a concept check at the very end, you know, of a lesson. Game-based learning is when you actually take the entire unit that you want to teach about a concept. And you envelope it within a game. So the kids are actually learning the concepts while they're playing a game and even making a game. Um, more and more, I've been really getting into getting the kids involved in game design itself because then they really understand the why behind all of the game mechanics and they get to practice design thinking. Um, so it's a really great like capstone at the end of like them playing a game. Um, so, so to me, there's that spectrum. And games just fall somewhere between the two right the gamification versus game-based learning and i'm not gonna i'm gonna tell you there's apps out there that say they're games and there's just a bunch of videos i would say that's not in the spectrum i wouldn't count that because i don't know i'm I, i'm a little more picky <laughs> yeah i mean i sort of dig the message that it makes sense to make games more educational or at least gamified and I know it feels inspiring to me. It feels inspiring. And then I'm thinking, so you briefly mentioned that you played uh, Learning Factory. And uh, what did you see there? So yeah. the lines and uh, I know. Did you like the experience? Yeah. <laughs> and oh, cats. Yeah. Okay, one, okay, A, you, you got a great story and hook already. Oh. Like, again, I'm telling you. Uh, I mean, I'm a dog person, and the cats are adorable. And I was just like, and I love like again. So you hit the why real quick, right? It's like why? Why do I care? 
why should I care about playing this game and like continuing to do, oh my gosh, the cats need, need toys. They're asking for toys. I got to go make it for them. Right. And so like <laughs> immediate, you're like, oh, I need to go do it. Um, and so again, they're creating, so they're doing creation with the factory and it's just like, it's really, it's subtle. Like it's not in your face. Like you're learning right now. Right. It's you're learning as you're experimenting. And I, I haven't talked about this too, but a power of, um, game-based learning, it's naturally kids get instant feedback when they're tinkering. And that instant feedback really helps them understand concepts a lot more quickly. So when I wasn't arranging the factories correctly, you know, I realized, oh, there's like a geometry to this where it's it's a better arrangement so I can get all of my like goods, my like raw materials to the right factories that can then feed into the store. So there's that piece also, the research, you're highlighting how important research is because I was just like, oh, I don't know how to make a whatever machine. Like, how do I go and research it? So so that like you're basically helping them like you're exposing them to also how that kind of works. So they might not even know that they're learning, really. Um, but later down the line, let's say you build some lesson plans where you're how machine learning really happens in the real world. They can there's a moment like oh it's like when I was trying to like you know make a more efficient I don't know a cat sharpener factory and I had to like do all of these steps oh like I was doing machine you know like so so that's like a a, that's always so so rewarding when you see them have a light bulb moment like that but yeah um and also having quests it's always good to like start off small give them one like seemingly achievable task like I can do it, you know, it shouldn't be intimidating. And then just slowly ramp it up. We call that scaffolding, right? So you're really slowly scaffolding up the difficulty. So the kids feel like they're mastering the skill slowly, but surely. I have a question actually for Charlotte. I'm, I think it's a tricky one. How do you envision the future of education? What would be the school like in, let's say 20 years? 20. Oh, I know. Like, I know people have asked me that question and I just, It's just so hard to even anticipate in 20 years what technology available for us to use in the school. But I, what I would really, what I would hope for is that you're starting to see more and more of it, but that kids get more voice and choice about what they're learning and how they're learning in the classroom. And the power of technology is we can, we can cater to that, you know, where they can be, it can be, learning can be more personalized. You know, so everyone, when they're playing like a game like Learning Factory or they're playing a game like Azaria, they get to write their own code. They get to go at their own pace. Um, you don't feel left behind. You don't feel like held back. You actually are getting like the the exact scout that you need to continue your learning growth. So I, I would love that. And be finding ways of technology, bring the outside world into the classroom or bringing the classroom more into the outside world. Um, because I think we need to think beyond the classroom is a, a box-like room where all the students and teachers have to be in there for hours on end. You know, if you think about how we learn right now as adults, that's not how we learn. We learn by connecting with people, going out, seeing how it's like in the real world. And I, I would hope that with technology, we'd be able to give kids and teachers more tools to do that so I mean people have asked me that question multiple times and every every time I give a different answer 
<laughs> because there's just so many ways you could go to improve education. And I'm thinking, uh, we have geeked out about many things, about if games are useful, about the future of education, about the happiness of kids, teachers, and government. And uh, we will continue geeking out on that. And there is even a community that you are welcome to join where we talk about all these things. You are also welcome in our newsletter where we also talk about these things. And uh, yeah, like and subscribe to get more episodes like this in this podcast or YouTube, wherever you're getting this content. Did I perform well as an ad? (laughs) Perfect. Is it it time to say goodbye already? No. Uh, Do a perfect, perfect outro. Do you have a cat for a perfect outro? (laughs) (laughs) Is required. Get back! Okay. So, yes. does yes. the cat still not need any cotton? No, nothing. <laughs> Did you try claw sharpener? Look at his claw sad face. <laughs> yeah, this? clearly he needs a claw sharpener. Then you'll be happy. Yeah. <laughs> Look, <laughs> Lara yeah. would be less happy, but. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, do a perfect outro then. Thank you very much, Sherla. That was very, very interesting. It was like very useful to talk with you about the, all those topics. You're really inspiring. Thank you very much I'm for happy your time. To... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm happy to talk about it. It was a pleasure to chat about this topic, as always. Thank you very much.